You're listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. Welcome to Soupcast, coming to you from Archaeosoup Towers. By popular demand, we're taking selected videos from the Archaeosoup back catalogue and bringing them to you as convenient podcasts. As the name implies, with Archaeosoup you get a bit of everything thrown into the pot. Archaeology, discussion, humour and debate. You can find out more at archaeosoup.com. So sit back, relax and enjoy our hearty helping of Archaeosoup. Hello and welcome back to Watching Brief for the week of the 18th of October 2021. Uh, I am joined, as ever, by my London-based co-host, Mr Andy Brockman. Uh, Good afternoon, Andy. Good afternoon, Mark. I'm pleased to see that people in the provinces are playing, paying due deference to the capital city. <laughs> it's a statement of fact, man. You're just in London. I'm not. I'm not. I'm, but if you want, I will. I will doff my cap to as a as a poor provincial so and so to you down there in in the royal city. <laughs> I, I, look, I, I, I'll. I'll accept the uh, I'll, I'll accept the, the that gesture with gratitude and um, point to the fact that uh, you can always owe your allegiance really to the Prince Bishop in Durham and um, in, but also in fact we're going to level you all up anyway so we're all going to be the same in the end what the heck uh, I, I I'll believe that when I see it I'll believe that when I see it when uh, <laughs> Prime Minister Johnson gets around to it. Um, you might say that I couldn't possibly comment. <laughs> anyway, an rega- journalist. <laughs> regardless, regardless of uh, of our geographical location, of our social uh, economic position, uh, or indeed of our cynicism, our watching brief continues, and uh, that takes the form, as ever, of uh, a discussion about the archaeological news of the week and the invitation for you guys to join the conversation uh, in the comments below. And this week we have a fairly rich scene. Of, of an idea. Uh, and this idea is something that I, I sort of titled, broadly speaking, in the notes for this week's agenda, uh, treasure versus treasured. Uh, that is to say, the difference between the, the, the technical definition of treasure, i.e. metallic items with gold and silver content uh, that the, 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 um, the, the uh, coroner deems to be treasure, versus things which have cultural significance and that everyone else in fact can see is more or less in the same category as treasure but is treated differently because of uh, a technicality actually in terms of what it's made from um uh, this this sort of line of thinking uh has has led us down the, the, the route of thinking about the relationship between museums, uh, the public purse in terms of purchasing power, and the, the origin of so many artefacts that find their way into essentially a, a broader market of artefactual heritage that doesn't always begin with metal detecting. And the second half of, of this, this week's show uh, is definitely a case study in something which, which is not from that, that sort of origin. But in this instance, uh, did start out in a field and was discovered by two metal detectorists. Um, and uh, and it, it all really kicks off with the York Museum's Trust press release, the announcement that rare Roman bronzes uh, have been acquired by the Yorkshire Museum. Uh, this was dated uh, the 13th of October. Uh, and they go on to say the 1,800-year-old um, uh, hoard, including a bust of Roman Emperor Marcus Aurelius, uh, has been secured thanks to the generous support of um, various donors, including Richard Bellison, um, uh, other individual donors, the Art Fund, and David Aaron, ALTD, uh, a London-based antiques trader. 
Um, I mean, what, what's what's wrong with this actually, Andy? I mean, you know, why 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 are we commenting on this? This this, this is a museum that that's bought something for 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 the public to be able to view, seemingly in in perpetuity from now on. And that's to be welcomed, and it is all perfectly legal. But I think mm -hmm. uh, it raises some some interesting questions. Mm. Um, a bit of background for our viewer. Um, in May of 2020, two metal detectorists, uh, James Spark and Mark Biblick, mm. were metal detecting in a field um, near uh, Ampleforth. People might remember uh, Ampleforth Abbey is a very famous uh, monastery in, 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 in rural Yorkshire, uh, North Yorkshire, uh, in an area called Rydale. Rydale. Uh, and they found, Rydale, yeah, and they found a horde of large Roman bronze objects. Uh, in particular, uh, there's a, a horseman, uh, there's the, uh, the head and front legs of a leaping horse, there is a bust which is tensively identified by a, a number of experts as of being the Emperor Marcus Aurelius. It certainly appears to be uh, second century Antonine period head. It's bearded, he's got curly hair. Um, he's not carrying a copy of the meditations because he hasn't got any hands because it's a bust, but it looks like a, you know, a, the head of an emperor of that, to of that be, period. To be fair though, he, do, he does look like a promontory against which the ways of the world might crash, uh, to quote. It, to quote meditations there um he is <laughs> unmoved by the world um and also the absolutely but some, something but something else that would not would would, would help the uh, assess whether the world was being moved or not is the rather incongruous object that completes the hoard which is a plumb bob yeah yeah and a, a plumb bob for uh folks at home if, in case you don't know it's just a a weight often uh, it's a weight that that's shaped to uh to have a point at the bottom for indication purposes you hang it from a string and it gives you a true due to gravity a true line in terms of straight down you can, you can use it for masonry and in fact it was an integral part of a roman uh, engineering uh, measuring instrument called a groma yes um which like use plumb bobs to create right angles and uh, and set off straight line uh, set off straight lines on building sites and so on. Mm. So it's it's something that was integral to to, to Roman uh, Roman civilization, if you like, Roman architecture, Roman building. Um, the objects were were, were were found, and my understanding from talking to people who were are familiar with the process is that there were, were initial negotiations between the finders and the landowner and the York Museum's trust. Mm -hmm. Uh, to take on the objects because they were very rapidly seen as being of national importance and obviously mm. very, you know, uh, in great importance to the cultural history of, of, of Roman Yorkshire. Um, and they were able to have those kind of negotiations because being a base metal uh, copper alloy, bronze, um, they don't come under the purview of the Treasure Act 1996. So it wasn't compulsory for the finders to report them to the coroner and for there to be an investigatory process and an inquest mm. to assess value and, and, and assign, uh, uh, assign them to, uh, to be kept uh, by the public, mm. which is the case with treasure objects, which contain gold or silver. So, so uh, um, was, a, was, a, was initial conversation begun though with the muse museum regardless? That is my understanding. Right. Now, again, this is, this is from, from one source, but it's a, it's a source who's familiar with the process. Yeah. Um, now, at some point, those negotiations were ended. Mm -hmm. 
and it was decided that the objects would go to auction uh, at a Derbyshire-based auctioneer called Hanson's, which we talked about before on Watching Brief. Uh, it's um, famously uh, headed up by Charlie Hanson, who's a BBC TV personality. Yeah, uh, a, da- a darling of uh, bargain hunters. Yeah, he, he that's right. Yeah. He's a daytime. He's a regular on daytime TV. Mm-hmm. He's got this sort of um, cheeky chappy persona, which under which is a very sharp businessman. Mm. And um, basically, uh, Hansons have made something of a speciality in selling metal detected items. Mm-hmm. And um, in this case, they uh, the, the objects went to auction and were sold to a uh, a London-based dealer called David Aaron. For one hundred eighty-five thousand pounds. Yes. Now, well, well, we go, you, well, I was going to say. Well, what, what's interesting here is this: this comes in the context, as you say, of this same auction auction house um, being very good at at positioning, especially ancient and and uh, pre, even prehistoric metal items um, to be sold for very high prices. Uh, I think re- recently, or last year, or something. Um, covid timeline so i sort of lose track of 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 when we talk about things sometimes um we discussed an iron age uh a series of metal items linked with um with equine sort of horse art and um and right horse riding which uh which technically was being sold in a, in a very uh, you know above board way but it's it's the positioning it's the we it's taking this stuff out of the conversations with the museum and putting it into a sort of a public realm where where advertising in particular becomes key it, it is the it's the conversation that surrounds the artifact that then positions it to be bought at a certain price i think and hansen seems to be particularly good at, at, at manufacturing that interest that's right. And I, I, I'll read you just quickly. Um, this is the way that Hansel's presented it in their auction catalogue. Mm. This, this is the, um, the, the, the brief description. There's a much longer description, um, which ties in with lots of, you know, gives academic references and so on and so on and so on. But this is, this is how they pitched it to the, um, to, to, to the punters who were just looking at the first paragraph. Um, the Rydale Ritual Bronzes. A unique assemblage of Roman ritual artefacts from Yorkshire. In May 2020, approximately 20 miles north of York, the Roman city of Everarkham, two friends, Mark Didlick and James Spark, unearthed an amazing assemblage of Roman bronze work, consisting of a large bust, a horse and rider figurine, a zoomorphic knife handle and a pendulum. This assemblage almost certainly represents a set of ritual equipment buried as one deposit in the closing decades of the second century. And the estimate it gives was seventy to ninety thousand mm, pounds. Mm, yes. Now, uh, as you can see, that is less than half of what it eventually sold for. Uh, the lower end of the estimate is less than half of what it eventually sold for. Yes. Yeah. Um, and and that is a that that kind of th- those kind of estimates are classic. Come on and buy me estimates from auctioneers who are mm-hmm. wanting to drive the price. Mm. Same thing happened with the piece of Iron Age equipment, uh, horse equipment that we you mentioned just now. I would um, I would invite people to take a look at this text actually because it's written in a way that that to my dyslexic eye is very unfriendly, uh, but also actually to uh, I think to anyone who's accustomed to reading, for example, 
academic texts or you know papers it's written in it's a block of text it's not really paragraphed properly uh, it's barely spaced in a way that that's very user-friendly but it is packed absolutely packed with references to wikipedia there's a jstor article there there's a p um uh, uh possible antiquities scheme link uh, chucked in there uh, and there are actually a couple of those links in fact they're using the the work of archaeologists and and others not so much to uh to talk about the the cultural context and uh the the body of of research that goes into the understanding of an artifact necessarily but rather to establish value there's also actually a british museum link in there as well actually i just spotted uh this is this is the use of if of, i suppose historiosity as as a as a uh, as a adding to intrinsic worth of these bronze artifacts it's a it's again it's not illegal but it is very much a, a redeployment of archaeological and historical facts and research and fact finding to to increase the price of artifacts now what that that then means is that presumably in uh, a museum if you want we can go hypothetical at this point andy a museum um who may have started a conversation where they were going to buy something for a certain price that may be i don't know maybe uh one eighteenth of what eventually um was uh was uh, was the sale price of an artifact um you know 20 percent or something is actually forced to to now be buying these things at what is deemed to be market level and market rates. Mm. Now, this um, there's a slight rabbit rabbit assault aside here. In so much as I, I had a conversation a couple of weeks ago with someone who commented on a watching brief video, uh, who uh, asked what I thought of the, the truth, the fact that apparently the British Museum buys at low levels and sells artifacts on at profit. Of course, this person couldn't provide any proof for their assertions. Um, but it's interesting that this is what's in the bloodstream. Once the artifact is moved into this sort of marketplace, it's all about value. It's all about apparent market rates, whatever, however the market is, is in fact being established. Uh, and and this market is not only sucking more money than, than has to be sucked out of the public purse, it's also, if we look at the art newspaper link that we've included below, a market that is crammed potentially with people who are also selling fakes. Uh, New York dealer arrested for selling cookie-cutter manufactured goods as authentic antiques. Um, this is actually a story from a couple of weeks ago. Um, uh, but recently came to uh, to the attention of the Times and the New York Times uh, last week. So I'm linking this. Is actually, this was this was actually published in the Art newspaper on the 26th of August. But people may have seen this last week in in the Times, for example. So it's it's is is that what we're examining here? And I suppose implicitly ob uh, objecting to is the uh, is the the slightly cynical maneuvering of artifacts into into a, into a position where i guess you and i as taxpayers are having to 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 pay more than um we otherwise might do in the context of museums purchasing artifacts not necessarily directly in the case of the rydale hoard I, I have to say look this this is something this is a devil's bargain that was made a long time ago mm. um property law in the uk is such that objects like this um if they're not if they don't you know if these are, are come up on a an archaeological site uh, there are agreements before a space put in the ground about 
finds and where finds are going to go and where they're going to be deposited. Mm. And if these are turned up on an archaeological site, like, for example, Petuaria, where we were working in, in July um, on a Roman site of exactly this period, mm-hmm. um, then there would have been no question that those objects would have ended up in, you know, this belongs in a museum. Um, and that So would, do you. That, you know, the, Sorry. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, it's the fact that they were found on private land by private individuals, um, and with the agreement of the landowner, the negotiations went forward because they weren't covered by the Treasure Act. Mm. Um, that it, everything that happened was perfectly legal. Hansons will say that it's perfectly legitimate for them to promote objects and um, to price them competitively mm. and so on and so on and so on. But the overall effect of this is you're quite right. It basically, it drives the market. Any metal detector is seeing this will see more pound signs in front of their eyes by going to auction than maybe, for example, coming to a private arrangement with the local museum. Mm. Um, or, or even donating to the local museum, which is uh, many ethical metal, metal detectors do do. Mm. Uh, if the museum uh, is still in a position to actually accession material these days, which not all of them are. And incidentally, I should say that, that of course, there's no evidence that the British Museum sells its collection because legally it's not allowed to. It, <laughs> this is a rumour that is that is spread around for precisely those re- reasons. People, there, there, there's, um, there's also a misunderstanding among many metal detectorists that mm. um, because the Treasure Committee, which assesses treasure finds and assesses value to treasure finds, mm. uh, actually sits at the British Museum, meets at the British Museum and uses British Museum experts, that is somehow British Museum... Um, uh, structure. It's not. It's separate. It's it, it's set up to administer the Treasure Act, which is something very different. Of course, they'd say that. It's all a conspiracy. <laughs> but anyway, the, the point is though, this is a system. British Museum aside, but even the British Museum as well, actually. But the, this is a system which does not have all the money in the world. Um, uh, there's a an article here from inyourarea.co.uk. Oddly enough. Um, where uh, owners are being asked, are being urged to claim back heritage centre items. A deadline has been set uh, before unclaimed items will be taken away um, at uh, Ashbourne's Heritage Centre. Apparently, um, the Tuesday the 30th of November is the deadline by which uh, items uh, stored in the Heritage Centre are to be collected before the Town Council washes their hands of everything therein. Dozens of items were kept securely in the Church Street building, which was run by the late historian Trilby Shaw, uh, and they are now in a state of limbo while volunteers scramble to catalogue them and work out who owns what. This is the system that's being gamed, that's being that's having um, this sort of uh, these sorts of prices foisted forced upon it, um, and and it's not great. It's also not great because that refrain. It's perfectly legal. It's fine. It's perfectly legal. It's legal. It's legal where I operate or whatever, however people want to try and justify themselves. It's something that we also come to in uh, our second focus for this week's Watching Brief, and that is the sale of human remains, the sale of, in this instance, bones online. Interestingly, the ABC News article that we highlighted, or we chose to highlight this story, we'll try and find another link below, but we'll also link to this one as well, out of interest, at the moment, um, has the story listed as, oops, page unavailable. Whether that's because of the nature of the article or not, who can say at this stage. 
but we uh, we started looking into this and we were led to um, to the, uh, the, the the recommendation for today's interview, weren't we, Andy? That's right. Uh, we wanted to cover the issue of the sale of human remains, which has far fewer regulations around it than many people might expect. Mm. And particularly given the current focus on decolonization and the treatment of indigenous archaeology in the past, um, and the, uh, shall we say, the sometimes less than, um, less than legitimate uh, uh, ways of obtaining indigenous artifacts that mm -hmm. were exercised by museums in the past. Mm -hmm. um, we, we wanted to look at this and, and we started doing some research and we were led to two things. We were led to a New York based website and we were also led to the TikTok account of Stephanie Black, who is uh, an Australian archaeologist who's currently studying in the UK, but has um, used her TikTok account to highlight the issues of human remains and the treatment of human remains and the sale of human remains. And um, we invited Stephanie to, to, to join us, and this is the interview we recorded earlier. Our guest on this week's Watching Brief is Stephanie Black, who trained in Australia at Macquarie University as an archaeologist and is now at Durham University in the UK studying for an MA. But you might know her better as Steph the Archaeologist on TikTok, and in particular through some work she's been doing recently, some videos she's been publishing recently about uh, an American... Uh, human osteology dealer, for want of a better description, a uh, company called John's Bones, um, which has raised some wider issues about the ethics of presenting and handling human remains that Stephanie's been highlighting. Um, Stephanie, welcome to Watching Brief. What first, how did you first discover the John's Bones store and what made you want to respond to it in your, on, in your TikTok videos? Basically, he was one of the first accounts I saw and I had originally followed him and then, you know, when you just get weird vibes from someone because his whole thing is that he has this huge wall of spines, a human spine. So he's known on TikTok as, oh, the spines guy. Um, and then I had a follower just like send me a message and go, hey, I've just caught like really weird vibes from this guy. Could you just do like a video? And so I just started doing some research on him and I thought, oh, it would just be like a generic kind of he does seem to know his law. He, technically, what he's doing is legal. Um, and then I found the Sami skull and I was like, oh, that isn't good. And then you kind of dig deeper into his business and there were just a lot of red flags with how it, the whole thing was being run. Let's start with the, the legality issue because that's the first thing that mm -hmm. dealers like him will probably say is that in certainly in New York, um, what he's, where he's based, uh, he appears not to be breaking any state laws mm -hmm. um and in the uk for example the owning and sale of human remains historic human remains isn't covered by licensing um that there is that we do have the, the human tissue authority which exerts a certain amount of regulation but it's pretty loose and and um educational use is one of the uh, exemptions i think if I'm, I'm, I'm correct in saying so what is the reason for highlighting something which is essentially is a legal trade um it's because it's something that isn't morally right like there's a lot of justification on his count like if people raise questions and go hey this seems a little odd he's like oh but it's legal 
and I don't know if you have to work so hard to justify that your work is legal when so many people are like going, uh, there's something not quite right there, really. Do, do you think that in this area, the sort of ethical view of archaeologists is running ahead perhaps of the, the public and the wider media? Uh, I, certainly, I, I've been aware of in the time that I've been working in archaeology, the sensitivity around human remains has become mm -hmm. um, much more pronounced. It's much more part of our, our training and our, our, our daily uh, working lives, if you like, and particularly when it comes to the remains of ethnic peoples. Uh, yeah. Definitely, like of all the sites I've worked on, like like even before you go out to start digging, you always have like a big conversation around the ethics. So like if you are excavating human remains, like not taking photos, not publishing them online, um, you know, not even giving people like or the skeleton a name or anything, like being very, very conscious that this is a person, that this is, you know, this was someone who lived and so we should afford them respect. Yeah, which doesn't really seem to be something that John is doing, necessarily. Obviously, he's not here to answer for himself, uh, although he's very he's not uh, backward in coming forward himself mm -hmm. on social media. Um, and uh, obviously, we're not, we're deliberately not linking to his site, although he's very easily foundable by, mm -hmm. findable by Google, other search engines are available. Uh, so if any of our viewers do want to go and look at what he's, um, what he's doing, uh, it, it's perfectly open to do so. Um, what he does say is that uh, as well as being legal, he, he operates ethically, that there are checks and uh, balances that went, um, he, uh, he says explicitly on his, uh, on his website and if i just um put it up here to quote um in the sales section of his website he says that his um products are responsibly sourced that we do not uh, purchase or accept osteology that's been acquired in irresponsible or illegal manners uh, after completing the form uh, uh, offering something to, to the company uh, all items will be assessed by a john's bones representative uh, and an offer will be issued uh so he, he he's he's claiming that the work doesn't, um, it, 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 you know, it, it, there are legal checks and balances mm -hmm. throughout that it's, it, it's, it's uh, assessed expertly. Do, are you convinced by that? I think he thinks he's doing the right thing. But when I was looking at the staff members, he is still, um, I believe, still studying um, at Parsons School of Design in New York. You know, he's 21, he's quite young. And I was like, oh, you know, are there more like professionals behind him? And the only person with any osteological experience was an individual who didn't have a last name nor a photo on his account and who just had their BA, which to me, if you're running a business like this, um, you need more than that. And it also said in their bio that they assess the bones by photos. And anyone who's had any dealing with bones, no, you can't, I mean, it's difficult enough to assess bones, let alone doing it only through photographs. Okay, so moving forward, you mentioned a particular issue, and one of the things that attracted you to the, uh, uh, caught your attention was the issue of a, a Sami skull. Now, I understand from the um, background we did on this before um, we started recording this segment, that uh, there are questions over whether that actually was uh, in the possession of John's bones legally, the, 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 it, how it came to be in the United States was somewhat opaque. Yeah, 
there i it's honestly it's not altogether clear because he did take the skull down from his website like when i made my first video i was like oh i should maybe like take a photo of this so i do have a photo sitting on my phone that i have given to um some sami people who have asked for it so they can pass it on to their own representatives to see how this came about um because i know in the us it is like the sale of bones in most places in the US is legal. It's just indigenous remains. But as the Sami aren't a North American indigenous group, they aren't protected. They don't have those sort of same protections. Right. Now, the, uh, extending the discussion really to, to, to indigenous peoples, um, and I'm asking you really as an archaeologist trained in Australia, do you think, uh, as we said at the beginning, you trained at Macquarie, do you think that um, training in an area where Indigenous archaeology is very much a part of practice and everyday practice for people going off to work in the sector, do, do you think you get a better grounding in the practicalities and ethics of this kind of work than maybe in the UK where we don't have the same day-to-day -day sensitivities? Broadly speaking, I mean, uh, there have been cases in the UK, for example, of uh, Jewish sites, um, where obviously, again, the treatment of human remains is very much tied in with cultural practice. Um, yeah, I mean, I definitely think it was part of my degree, like you're very sort of conscious and kind of we were told, yeah, if you do work on like a site in Australia and you come across like indigenous or suspected indigenous human remains, like you basically don't touch them, like maybe even the site can get shut down until people can check it. It is a very um, hot topic as well, indigenous remains, there's a lot of um, factors, not only archaeological, but like political and the whole history of Australia and the treatment of Indigenous peoples that also impact how that goes about. And I would say actually in the UK certainly there have been cases in recent years when UK museums have returned human remains in particular to Indigenous peoples in Australia, the Pacific and I think also in North America. Um, as we sort of come to an end of, the, uh, to, uh, of this segment, um, the in the uk certainly um there was a case for example in 2019 of uh, an auction house which appeared to be about to offer uh saxon human remains early medieval human remains that came from a private collection uh so the uh, there was a lot of pushback in the archaeological sector from that and the uh the skull which had been nicknamed and apparently gendered by the auction house charlie was um, very clearly you know, withdrawn from, from sale. Um, that was a sort of a one-off and it was uh, uh, almost like a sort of firefighting response. Do you think the archaeology sector needs to come up with a more coherent and perhaps a more detailed and um, proactive strategy in this area? I think people are obviously aware of it and I do think archaeologists are kind of conscious of it but I feel like maybe there could be more done because there are private collectors out there I mean I've found more of like some from the UK who are on TikTok and you know it's like one of those things that yes technically it is legal but I do think archaeologists can talk about it and go hey like considering the history of archaeology and how in essence, we've like we've had that promotion of human remains and the kind of whole history we have. It's now our job to sort of respond and go. Actually, isn't the right thing to be doing just because it's legal doesn't mean it's ethical. Absolutely. Now, uh, and, and 
just to finish, you've um, mentioned there that uh, there are collectors active on TikTok, which is one of, obviously one of the newer social media platforms. You're very active on, 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 on TikTok. Um, and as I said, we'll, we will link to your account so that uh, people can uh, watch, uh, watch your videos on this, uh, this area and, and, and hopefully follow you going forward. But um, do, do you think that uh, the fact that this a lot of this kind of thing happens on sales platforms on social media platforms that aren't the traditional archaeological media aren't the traditional archaeological journals of record and so on do you think that that is uh why maybe these things slip under the radar and aren't given maybe the the amount of coverage and thought that they perhaps warrant I think it's like such a big issue like obviously like the instance of organized like it's one social media it's kind of one user i mean there's already more people on there and like TikTok is such a new social media like i'm sure it's way more established on places like twitter and facebook and it's kind of it's so big not one person and i don't think not one group can fully deal with it because it is so complex and it is everywhere and it is very hard to police i think um, um, one final question. It, it's the sort of um, monarch for a day question. If you if you were suddenly in charge of the CBA, Council of British Archaeology, or, or the Charlton Institute for Archaeologists, um, one of one of the main archaeological bodies in in the country for for, for the day, and you were uh, you were told that you could do one thing in this area to bring uh, to 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 bring that ethical view uh, that 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 ethical stance and in-depth thought to, to to the area of human remains what what would you what would you do oh that's a that's a tough question um i think i would i would start doing something to look at the legality of it because i think if you start pushing into is this legal especially with the murky history and the origin of a lot of these remains because like john says that well i get them from you know doctors offices you know people have just had them sitting in their attics it's like okay but where did those people get them from and so i think if you really consider the legality and study that i think that would be really good i think that's a, a, a nice nutty complex thought to end on stephanie black thank you very much for joining the watching brief thank you so john's bones it's it's unfortunate really that that, that that's the name of his business because i also know an archaeologist called bones jones who is um who's a perfectly lovely uh slightly eccentric man uh used to work at or possibly still works at the archaeological trust uh but uh, aside from the name what's what's your takeaway from this sort of offshoot of this commodification of of the artifactual past that we've been discussing you know obviously these aren't metal remains this isn't treasure per se but it is a key part of our physical heritage yeah look i, I think a few sort of short takeaways from it apart from the fact that you know a commercial auction house hansons has had a walk-on part in both our stories <laughs> had more than a walk-on part in our first story yeah um and through doing nothing other than its legitimate commercial business, which mm -hmm. is perfectly legal. And also, um, it should be said, its business is also to increase the value of the things it wants to sell. 
Exactly. You know, it's there it, to yes, generate it, it, interest. I get that. I don't it's, understand exactly. That. It's, it, it, it's function. It's to sell stuff to the public that the public is willing to pay for and to make as much money in the process as it can. Yes. That's, that's, how, that, you know, that's how capitalism works. It's absolutely, absolutely fine and legal in, 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 in the UK as, as we sit here in, in, in 2021. The, um, but aside from that, um, I think, first of all, um, a lot of the, uh, the sale and um, uh, presentation of this material for sale is happening on electronic platforms, digital platforms. It's happening uh, outside of the purview of journals of record and things like that. Mm. Um, and you know, uh, we picked up on the story and on Stephanie's work from TikTok. Mm. Uh, which is one of the newest social media platforms. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it just shows how quickly things like this can uh, appear, can be examined, can move on, um, and possibly without actually the great and the good in the archaeological and heritage sector even being aware of them in many cases. Mm -hmm. um, it's only through uh, you know, platforms like this and other people who work in social media who then try and transfer the knowledge into the into the sector into the wider sector mm. that these things are uh, on the radar at all and in that sense sorry, it's, it's also a market that's not actually happening on a on a market site it's not this isn't happening on no. it does happen on ebay but in this instance this case study is not for example in a in a, in a that sort of market it's actually it's a it's a, a very similar to Hansen's actually, it's a publicization of things that are available that then lead yeah. to people's interest in purchasing them. So yeah, it's, it's interesting. Yeah. Mm. Um, it's, it, 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 regardless of the ethical side of it, legally, it's quite legitimate. Mm. Um, and I think looking at both, um, both aspects of it, then perhaps the wider heritage world, the wider archaeological world, uh, needs to take cognizance of what's going on, be be aware or have you know be made aware of what's going on on platforms like TikTok, uh, like eBay uh, and, and and other sales platforms, mm. and come up with a, a a joined up response that if something's not ethical, then you know as a sector we say it's not ethical and campaign against it. I mean. Um, when again when we were preparing this i, I had a look at the uh, british association for biological anthropology which is a an expert group that looks at uh, areas around this and uh, it has a a clear stance that it sees the quote the trading of human remains for commercial gain unacceptable mm, mm. so that, you know there, there's a clear ethical position mm. um it's also worth saying that certainly as far as the UK is concerned, um, if human remains are less than 100 years old, then they come under the Human Tissue Act 2004, which means that unless uh, a licence has been obtained, uh, public display certainly is uh, not allowed. Um, they also point out that Many of the human remains that are on the market uh, and are um, used in medical schools and things like that, and possibly, you know, obviously, there's no chain of evidence here, but the kind of thing that might turn up in a, at a company like John's Bones mm. um, 
come from the Far East. Um, there was a trade in human remains from the Far East into Western um, medical schools, for example, in the 20th century. And relatively recently, uh, both China and India have banned the export of human remains. India in 1985, China as recently as 2008. Right. Right. Um, mm. So, uh, you know, um, it may well be that something that's on sale in Judge Burns legally in New York may not be legal to certainly display in the UK. Mm. Mm. Um, historic material, older than 100 years, um, it, it's, it's a different matter. No, but it's, uh, um, yeah, it's definitely in that, that very dodgy... Um, legal area that exactly yeah exactly. that the, the, the refrain it's all perfectly legal simply doesn't doesn't quite batter away mm. it's all perfectly legal if mm. if, if. Is, yeah yeah, yeah. Mm. well and, it, and it's interesting to me that i mean you you mentioned journals of record you mentioned the fact that the the, the in that sense this these conversations these sales the this this interest is being drummed up surrounding a business uh based in in new york um is happening well outside the uh, the, the the purview of, of most academics in particular for example uh, but also as well it's a conversation that uh that is happening despite the fact that for many years now uh for a long time for, for as long as i've been aware of it uh, museums studies in particular have been discussing and debating the use of human remains do we really need to have that person's body or the skeleton on display in order to talk about them for example could we use drawings, photography, 3D printing, so on and so forth. These are conversations that are happening within the sector. But it, but it's interesting how, to me how not only has those, are those conversations seemingly not permeating into, for example, the sale of, of you know, and that sort of market, um, regardless of who's doing the purchasing, um, but also as well, it's, it's the reaction that we see in comments on these stories and on this, on this sort of news, where excuse me, people sort of say, well, you know, they're, they're, they've been dead for ages. It doesn't really matter. You know, they, they don't know they're dead. Um, uh, these remains are really old or, or whatever. And, and indeed on, uh, for example, John Bones's website, he, 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 he indi indicates that he expects people to just have bones in the attic. You know, oh, do, do, you, have, do you happen to have some bones lying around? I'll buy them from you. Um, but but as, as, as quickly comes to mind if you think about it for any for more than uh, a few minutes and you actually think outside your your personal embodied existence those bones came from someone else they were inside someone else they were another person those bones uh, weren't always donated for example um in the case of say here in in the uk some medical schools infamously in edinburgh um were purchasing uh, you know people who've been executed or people who were being uh, maybe buried and not buried so on and so forth so the, the the trafficking of human remains is not new but therefore there's an awful lot of bones floating around stuff that may be in old medical collections stuff that may be uh, in people's in people's personal collections that have questionable or, or, or not or or not so old you're quite right mm. to, to to raise those issues and i i I'll, I'll finish with just sort of one observation which is um uh, slightly per personal anecdotal, but also um, I think is, is illustrative. Um, first of all, in terms of provenance, 
that Saxon material that was sold by Hansons, the early medieval that was sold by, material that was sold by Hansons, mm. including the skull, which was eventually withdrawn from sale, if it ever, ever was on sale, it's slightly ambiguous as to what's going on, will link to a uh, blog piece by uh, Howard Williams, uh, who's a specialist in this area, uh, which explores the background of Hansons' sale. Mm -hmm. um, but that material was derived from uh, an, an excavation by a school teacher who was an amateur archaeologist of a Saxon cemetery in the 1960s. And the material was being disposed of by his wife after he died. Mm. So you know, that is the route by which that material came into the commercial market. Mm. Um, and the other thing I would say, and again, this is very personal and anecdotal, and it's why I'm torn about the whole subject. And I, I, I'm having a constant debate with my, you know, myself with myself whenever we talk about things like this, whenever I, my work brings me into contact or, or with, with things like human remains. And that is um, at one level, particularly as an archeologist who works in the archeology span of modern conflict, and I've dug on the Western Front, and the protocols there, for example, the British Ministry of Defense and the Joint Casualty and Compassionate Center, which oversees the recovery of British and Commonwealth war dead mm. does not allow the taking of photography showing of it, sharing of images without express permission and in most cases that's not given and they say that's that's down to a privacy and respect issue particularly because next of kin may well be involved yeah. when we're trying to identify somebody who's recovered for example on the western front or from an aircraft that crashed in world war ii mm. so it is absolutely not allowed it has the same level of respect and stricture as around certain areas of indigenous archaeology in today australia well, it, it's, um, it's at the same time one of the reasons it is dignity absolutely mm. it's about dignity it's about respect mm. at the same time one of the reasons in fact my almost my first archaeological memory is a primary school visit to the british museum and the mummy room and the desiccated display of the body of the uh pre-dynastic egyptian person who is nicknamed ginger right um it was, it's an incredibly powerful image. It stayed with me for now something like 50 years mm -hmm. since I made that first visit. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, I, you know, it, it, the, because it's about people and, you know, Sir Mortimer Wheeler famously said, archaeology is digging up people. Mm. And this is about as intimate with the people as we get. Mm. And so it's absolutely tied up with our archaeology i just think it's a constant debate about how we handle that relationship with those people who were people like us mm. with respect yeah okay yeah I can, I can understand that and in that sense human remains are dramatic by definition they can be powerful they can be instructive um yeah. and i suppose a key question is do they always have to be on display and indeed in this context context should they be on sale um indeed should should any of the heritage that we've been talking about be be subject to the sort of crass marketeering uh, that, that we have been discussing today so uh, it, 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 exactly mm. exactly does cultural value equate to commercial value and i would argue it never does cultural value is always more important yeah although apparently it doesn't stop some people from using cultural value to up the price of something uh this it's, been, it's, complicated. it's complicated. It, it, it is complicated. But, the, I mean, this this has been uh, uh, an interesting watching brief for the week. Hopefully, 
I mean, by definition, this conversation is going to continue in some capacity at some point. Hopefully this hasn't been uh, too uh, confusing or distressing in some cases for you in, in terms of thinking about this, uh, you guys at home. Um, this is something that I think sometimes archaeologists can sometimes forget. You know, dealing with bodies uh, is something that, that, we, that, we, that we do uh, and that we think about a lot. But this is something that's also worthwhile thinking about, how we value, how we, whether, whether we treasure uh, all things that should be treasured or not. Um, thank you guys for watching. Thank you for your time, Andy, as ever, this week. And uh, until next time, guys, do take care. Bye-bye. This podcast episode has been produced by the Archaeology Podcast Network in collaboration with Archaeosoup Productions. Find out more podcasts at www.archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archpodnet.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com.